Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and we are right in the middle of a great study on the spiritual gifts. I've met so many Christians who are afraid that they have no giftings. And I think so often it's because they think they don't have any talents. Well, friends, the spiritual gifts and natural talents are completely different things. And in our text today, we're going to see out of 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4, 5, and 6, how the entire Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are involved in the giftings of God's people. That means that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have deposited such incredible things into you as a Christ follower. We're just going to take our time and unpack these few phrases of Scripture that are absolutely packed with life-changing truth. I'm so glad you're joining me today on this episode of Awaken to Grace. First Corinthians chapter 12. We are in a series right now on spiritual gifts. Today I want us to look at only verses 4, 5, and 6. Today we're going to talk about the source of spiritual gifts. Where do giftings come from? If you missed last Sunday, we talked about the grace of the gifts. My argument from Scripture, my premise, was that if the word gifts, which in the Greek means charisma, and the word grace is charis, the root of charisma, my point was, 1 Corinthians 1, 4, my point is that if the grace of God brings you salvation, then the grace of God also brings the gifts. So today, if you are born again, if you are a saved Christian by the grace of God, if you can say with confidence, my salvation is not through me or my good works or my goodness, my salvation is solely by the grace of God, then my argument to you is you cannot say then, I'm not gifted. Not one Christian can say, I'm without spiritual gifts. Now, you may look at natural talents. You may look at natural abilities and say, well, I may not have this talent or that talent. But see, the Bible, as we saw last week, 1 Corinthians 12, 1, doesn't say now concerning natural abilities. No, it says now concerning spiritual gifts. So my point is, if you are saved and the grace of God has brought to you so great a salvation, well then, my friend, that same grace of God has also deposited into you such good and great spiritual gifts. Every one of you. We're going to help you find them. Today we're going to talk about the source Last week, because we dealt with grace, we called it the grace of spiritual gifts. Today, we're going to talk about the source of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts. 
but the same what? The same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them in everyone. Now, if you're born again today, you're part of that everyone that God is empowering. You're part of that collective group of everyone. So I want us to focus today on where do our spiritual gifts, where do they source out of? Because in our very humanistic culture, we have to understand our spiritual gifts are not sourced out of us. They are not sourced out of our own abilities, out of our own strength, out of our own interests, out of our own desires, out of our own talents. Just as salvation, what does the Bible say about salvation, by the way? It says that God is the author and the finisher of our salvation. Is that what it says? In other words, God is the initiator and God is the perfecter. Our salvation beginning to end is in Jesus Christ, not ourselves. So it is with the giftings. If your, if your spiritual giftings are sourced out of the Spirit, out of the Son, and out of the Father, they're not sourced out of you. So you and I have got to get out of our thinking, out of our minds, that our spiritual gifts are dependent Upon us. They're not. They're sourced out of the blessed trinity. Does that make sense to everyone today? So verse number four. Let's, these three verses are so packed. Full of life changing truth. Let's just unpack them together. And let's see what the Lord will say to us today. Verse four. So there are varieties of gifts. I want to answer a couple of questions today. Number one. I want to answer the question. Do Christians only have one gift or are there multiple gifts within you? I want to answer the question, why are there so many gifts mentioned in the Bible? There, you know, according to some people, there's 12. According to some people, there's 19. And then according to others, there are multitudes of gifts that Scripture is not intended when it lists the gifts. And I'm of this thinking as well. I think that when Scripture lists the gifts... It is not an exhaustive list. There are multitudes of gifts. I think if Scripture was, <clears throat> I think, and, and, and you know me, I hold Scripture the, in, in the highest of regard, right? I don't preach anything but Scripture. I listened to a preacher last Tuesday on my Alexa device, and he taught a fine lesson I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't a sermon. He, he made a couple of really good points that I thought were good. But he never used the scripture. Never used the text. All he did was tell illustrations. Tell stories. He never used the scripture to the end of his second point. And even then he just half quoted it. There's no power to it. So, so don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. I have the highest regard of Scripture, and it's the only thing I teach. I don't teach from lectures. I don't teach from, uh, from inspiring, uh, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, what, what's the word I'm trying to find? 
when people get a speech. I don't preach from speeches. I heard a preacher one time give a sermon series out of the greatest speeches of history. What? Stick with the word. Amen? It's the only thing that's transformational. As deeply as I believe in the sticking with Scripture, here's my point. I think there are multitudes of gifts, and I don't think they are limited only to what's in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And the main reason I don't think that is because even that, there's some overlap in them, but they're two different lists. I think if Scripture intended to be completely exhaustive in those two lists, I think it would make that clear. And uh, So there are multitudes of gifts. Multitudes. But here is my point today. Why are there so many different types of gifts? The Bible says there are varieties. There are various. There are different kinds of gifts. Here's the number one reason. Because there are so many different needs. There are so many needs among humanity. There's so many needs that you and I are to be serving That it takes the body of Christ equipped with numerous gifts within us. It takes that to meet all of the various needs that are around us. Now, can a Christian have multiple gifts? Absolutely. Now, not one Christian possesses every single gift. You'd be so puffed up with pride, it'd be ridiculous. But does every but do Christians have multiple gifts? Absolutely. There are multiple things within you that God desires to use. Now remember, we said the word gifts means grace. So according to this, there are various gifts. There are varieties of gifts, but who gives them? The Holy Spirit. Now let's talk about this for just a moment because <clears throat> this is very important. If you pay close attention to 1 Corinthians 12, here's what you'll notice. You'll notice the Holy Spirit mentioned over and over in just that short section. I think Paul is making very clear these gifts cannot operate. They cannot be functioning within us without the great help of the Holy Spirit. A church cannot minister out of the giftings without the aid, without the help, without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And as you've heard me say time and time again, you know what the danger is for those of us who we have been in church for a really long time, the danger for us is that we feel like we have the definition of so many things, right? Because we've experienced this or that. And so someone may have been in one type of church setting and they go, they read, oh, okay, it's given by the Spirit. I know what that is. I understand that. And then someone raised in a completely opposite church setting may read the same verse and go, oh, yes, yes, okay, the Holy Spirit. I've got that. I know exactly what that means. What I want to encourage our church to always pursue in spiritual matters is not what our background is, not what we have been brought up in or maybe what we've seen demonstrated. What does the Bible teach? That's what I want to know. 
You know, there are many people that in their head, they have an idea of what prayer is because they've experienced one way of praying or another. But is it true New Testament praying? See, I, want, I, I, don't, want to just, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't want to just interpret the Bible based on what I've experienced. I want to interpret the Bible in light of truth. And so when the Bible says... I need the Holy Spirit in these gifts. What does that look like for you? You know, I thought that song that they did this morning, Available. Well, I thought that's so powerful. Because do you know what I think it means for the Holy Spirit to be incredibly active in your life? It means to be yielded to Him. To be sensitive to Him. To be submitted to Him. To be led and guided by Him. And when you... When you are living a life that is activated, active in the Holy Spirit, then he's going to use these beautiful giftings in your life. There are going to be a variety. There's going to be various, many different kinds of gifts working in your life. Now notice what he says next. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord, <clears throat> who is now here? He's referencing Christ. Do you find it as interesting as I do that when this short three-verse section that's telling us where the source of gifts come, it talks about the Trinity? That 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 fascinates me. <clears throat> it tells me that the giftings of God are so important in the view of God, in the eyes of God. That the Trinity's involved in it. Now let's unpack this a little bit. Well, what do we mean by Trinity? Some of you may not know that term. We believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that there are three, yet one. In other words, in the entirety of all the universe, there is only one God, and it is Father, Son, Holy Spirit in perfect unity. Someone said one time, very wisely, they said, if you try to explain the Trinity, you may lose your mind, but you try to explain it away, and you may lose your soul. That's a very wise statement. So the Bible tells us a great deal. If you go back to Genesis, it teaches us, uh, I mean, if you remember, God says, let us make man in our own image. Who is he speaking to? He's certainly not speaking to angels. Because angels are created beings. One third of them fell. Not speaking to angels. Who is he speaking to? Elohim. The name, the word for God there in Elohim in Hebrew has plurality mentioned to it. In Isaiah 6 when he's hearing God say, Who will go for us? Whom shall I send? Who is he speaking to? The Trinity. And over and over throughout the Bible, just because, and see, critics of the Trinity, this is what they'll say. Well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. But friends, just because our word Trinity is not in the Bible doesn't mean the concept's not there and isn't taught. For that matter, the word Bible is not in the Bible. So that's a bad logic. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a pastor this week. And we were talking about end time events and everything that's happening in the world right now. And we were talking about our views of 
end time events. And he kind of chuckled and said, you know, I don't know two people who think alike when it comes to end time events. And I laughed and said, I agree. And, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, your personal opinion, do you believe in a rapture of the church? To my surprise, he didn't. Which there are many in the church who don't believe that. But when I asked him, why do you not believe in this doctrine of imminency that Christ says, I'm coming as a thief in the night. Be ready, be prepared, be watching, be waiting. You don't know the day or the hour that I will come. I said, how can you not? And I was stunned. He said, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Friends, just because one of our English words is not in the Bible doesn't mean the concept is not there and not taught. The Greek term would be harpazo, the catching up, the catching away. And as I watch world events unfold and as I watch what's going on in our country, friends, the Bible tells us exactly what to do. Look up. For your redemption draws nigh. But see, for our brothers and sisters who don't believe in a harpazo, they don't believe in a catching away, they don't believe that in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. They don't, they don't believe that to my brothers and my sisters who are, who are wonderful people, but to those who don't believe that, my question is, where's the imminency of Christ? Like my precious pastor friend who, you know, he believes that we'll go through the entirety of the tribulation. He believes that Christ will come at the end and there's only the the second coming of Christ. And we'll endure the entire seven years of the great tribulation, the three and a half years of the great tribulation and the whole seven years of the tribulation. So my question is, brother, then where's the imminence? Where is that Christ will come at any moment? Be ready, be prepared. By that biblical interpretation, well, Christ isn't going to come back until the Antichrist comes and you know, all this stuff happens in Israel and the covenant in Israel and all of this. So, so why, why be watching and waiting? It doesn't make biblical sense to me in that way. Whereas all throughout the Bible, it teaches I'm coming quickly. I'm coming as a thief in the night. Be watching, be waiting, be prepared. You see what I'm saying? I'm so far out in a rabbit trail, aren't I? Can I share one other thing with you I didn't see until this week? You're not in a hurry, are you? Half of you is fasting right now, right? So it's not like you're going to lunch. You're you're in this big uh, first fruits fast for the first of the year. So you're not, you're not, you ain't going to the buffet. Anyways. People ask, just two seconds and I'll move on to verse 5. People ask, will we see the Antichrist in our lifetime? Will the church experience any of the Antichrist? 2 Thessalonians 2 answers that question. When Paul writes to the Thessalonian believers, they're shaken. Read it, 2 Thessalonians 2. They're worried. They're shaken. They're upset. Someone has told them, you've missed the coming of Christ. And Paul does this great teaching and explains to them, you've not missed the coming of Christ. Many things have to happen until then. 
And then this man, this antichrist, this man of lawlessness. And what is America getting set up for right now? Come on now. Don't let these things frighten you, church. Everything is right on schedule. Do you understand? I don't care if you're mad over the election or glad over the election. I don't care. Scripture shall be fulfilled. And see, when you read in Revelation, during the tribulation, why am I going so far down this path? Is it okay if we just go a little ways down here? When the angel in Revelation, during the seven-year tribulation, which is the most detailed, chronically detailed time in history. It tells us so much. And when he steps one mighty foot into the Euphrates and one mighty foot on land. You know what the scripture says? He was prepared for that year, for that month, for that day, for that hour. Everything is right on track. What did we say? When there's chaos on earth, there's control in heaven. Don't be frightened. Don't be, don't be alarmed. Don't be shaken. And so Paul writes and he says, This man of lawlessness is going to come. But see, there's a problem. And do you know what the problem is? It's right there in your Bible. There is a restraining happening on the earth. And what is the restraining? It's the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit within His church. Our prayers and the working of the Holy Spirit is restraining evil on the earth. So will we experience the Antichrist? No. Read what it says. When the restraining is removed, then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. When's that restraining going to be removed? When the harpazo, the catching away, the rapture of the church, when that takes place, then the man of lawlessness, that great antichrist, then he will be revealed. He's not going to be revealed until the restraining is removed, which I believe is the Holy Spirit within us. See, do you understand that out of all humanity, out of all of time and all human, out of all all of history. We the church were the only ones that the Holy Spirit will ever indwell. And that's why the Holy Spirit, that's why the church is so special. That's why it's so special that you have the giftings of the Holy Spirit within you. There we go. Now we're getting back. Now we're getting back. <laughs> we took the scenic route, didn't we? Hallelujah. But see, that's why it's so special that the Holy Spirit indwells you. That's why your prayers matter right now. That's why as we watch events unfold and craziness happen, that's why as evil tries its best to unleash its full power on the earth, your prayers is what is restraining it. But there's going to come a day that just as God shut the door of the ark, the door of salvation will be shut. And the church, Harpazo, will be gone. Will you be left? 
It's something worth considering because I believe we're right on the cusp of it. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. So the giftings, they're given by the Spirit. Verse number four, there's varieties of gifts. Number two, they're given by the Son. Verse five, by the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse six, they're given by God, the Father. We see the Trinity. Just because the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, just like the word rapture is not in the Bible, just like the word Bible is not in the Bible, just because one of our English words is not there does not mean the idea, the doctrine, the concept is not there and taught. Okay? Now, it says varieties of service. Now, what does he mean by service? A little boy one time was in the lobby of his church, the vestibule, and There was a plaque of men's names. And the little six-year-old boy asked his mother, What are these names? And it was men who had died in World War II from the church and the community. And his mother looked at her son and said, Well, son, these are the men who died in the service. And the little boy's eyes got real big. And he said, The nine or the (laughs) eleven? Obviously, Scripture is not talking about service as in a church service like we have multiple times per week. It's not talking about service. It's talking about, in reality, ministry. The word here for service in the Greek, in the original language of the New Testament, the word is also where we get our word deacon or deaconess. A deacon is someone who serves. A deacon is someone who serves the ministry of the church. They serve the practical needs of the church. <clears throat> and what this scripture is saying, it's not limited only to deacons. Don't misunderstand me. But really, the, the best word, I think, for our understanding here, <coughs> excuse me, would be ministry. There are varieties of ministry, but the same Lord. Now, this is worth unfolding here. This is worth understanding. There are different, there are varieties of ministries for us to be involved in. Now, follow Paul's logic. I think what Paul is telling us, what the Holy Spirit's revealing to us, is why are there varieties of gifts? In other words, why are there multitudes of gifts given by the same Spirit? So that those gifts are used in the work of varieties of ministries. In various ministries. In other words, there's a place for you. There's a work for you to do. Whatever your vocation is, whatever your profession is, whatever whatever your job or your calling or your work or whatever that is. A thousand different things listed Don't lose sight. There's a ministry for you to fulfill. We have a culture in our church today that, well, ministry is reserved for people like Caleb or people like Eric or Glenn or Josh or myself. No. As a matter of fact, as pastors, the Bible says our responsibility is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. In other words, there's something for you to do. And there's no greater way to find your place. There's no greater way to find your fit. There's no greater way to find the satisfaction 
of the purpose of your salvation. Why God has put you here than to be plugged into the right ministry opportunity. Again, why are there various gifts? Because there are various needs. Why are there various ministries? Because there are various needs. And at this church, you can find wherever the Lord wants to burden you and wherever the Lord wants to use you and whatever your gifts are that we're going to help you discover, you can find a ministry to get involved in. You understand what I'm saying? If you're someone that you're burdened over the homeless, if you drive through downtown and you see the crisis of homelessness going on in our city, there's a place for you to serve here in that. If you're someone that you're burdened for overseas missions and you have a heart for people overseas, there's a place for you to serve in that. If you're someone that you're burdened over children, you're burdened over students, you're burdened over families, there's places to plug in and serve. If you're someone that you're burdened over people who are lonely, people that are suffering illnesses, people who need visits or when a family has a death and they need a meal brought to them. If you're someone that you feel drawn to that, friends, there's places to serve in that. If you're someone that wants to pray for people, pray over people, then there are ministries here that are just for that. The, what I'm trying to say is that there are varieties of ministries, of services, because there are such varieties of needs. It's well said, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. What are you doing for the kingdom of God? How are you taking your gifts and plugging them into ministry that God is leading you to? If you're not doing that, well, let me tell you, we want to come right alongside you. We want to shepherd you. We want to help you. We want to help you find the right fit for your giftings. Amen? And whatever you feel drawn, whatever you feel led to, then we want to help you find that right place. We want to see you be used of the Lord. Now, not only are there varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Not only are there varieties of services, of ministry, but the same Lord. Lastly, there are varieties... I'm sorry, there are various uh, varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers us all. Okay? Now, what's he mean by activities? What's the difference between activities and services? Wouldn't that be the same thing? No. There there is a difference. Uh, Again, in the original language of the Bible, which is the best way to study the Bible, gives us the clearest understanding. In the original language, the word activities there is actually a, a beautiful and really an absolutely remarkable word. It literally means results. It means efficient, effectiveness. It means accomplishment. Now, now follow Paul's logic. What Paul, I believe, is saying 
If there are varieties of gifts, because there are varieties of needs, so that means there's multiple giftings within every single one of you, not one, not two or three, there's multiple. If there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, then what's the purpose? To be plugged into a variety of services, variety of ministries, but the same Lord. Well, I think what Paul's saying in this next verse is that there is accountability. There is an expectation to use those varieties of gifts in those variety of ministries. See, right now, within me, there are gifts within me. I may be using one or two in a predominant way, but what about the ones that are also there that I'm not giving any attention to? You know what I think this scripture is saying to us, church? I think it's saying that one day I'll give an account before the Lord for the way that I used all of my gifts, not just one or two. Not just the ones I was the most comfortable in. There will be a day of giving an account, a settling of the account that I, God will say, Chad, I put this inside you. What did you do with it? There's an expectation, an accountability, results, activities that I think God expects with our giftings. Now, do giftings change throughout our lifetime? Yes, I think so. I I do. Uh, As a matter of fact, when Timothy is ordained in 2 Timothy 2, Paul reminds him, do not neglect the gift that was given to you at the time of basically ordination, at the time of laying on of hands. In other words, what Scripture is saying right there is that Timothy was given a new spiritual gift. And see, you may be in a season of life where God is putting, he's depositing new gifts within you. Why? Because there are new needs around you. There are new opportunities around you. Does that make sense to you? And see, some of you are in various stages of life. Some of you are in a stage of life like me where, you know, I'm responsible to do what I'm supposed to do for the Lord, but... But my time is a bit more limited. Why? Because my children are so young. Is it good for me to be, is it, is it healthy to be gone all day and then have five, six nights of my week eaten up? No, I need to be home. I need to be with my kids. But see, some of you are in different seasons as well to where some of you right now, you're in an empty nest season. And you're thinking, what in the world am I going to do? God may be depositing new gifts within you. There may be new opportunities in front of you. There may be things, doors that God wants to open that he's going to put the right gifting inside you for such a time as this. Some of you are in those wonderful retirement years. One of the, I'll not say who he is, but one of the men that God uses the most in our church and has for years now. I remember when he retired and he came to the office and he said, Chad, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And I just asked him point blank. I said, well, have you ever had as much time as you have now? He said, nope. I said, have you ever had as much money as you have now? Nope. Have you ever loved the Lord more than you love him now? No. I said, well, my friend, you're a great candidate for God to use you. And let me tell you, he 
is here multiple days a week serving the Lord. Amen. Different seasons open up different opportunities. And God may put different gifts within you for that time. Just like he did Timothy. You see what I'm saying? So you may be someone that you took a spiritual gift test 20 years ago. Well, guess what? Your giftings may have changed. They may have changed. So, what, what is the point? The point is... There are multiple giftings inside of each of you so that you can plug in to various ministries so that one day you will have various results for the Lord Jesus Christ. So that one day you'll have accomplishments in your life that will be not to your glory, to the glory of God. See, what did we say last week? Are our gifts for us? No. They're to share with others. God has given me a gift of teaching. God has given me an ability to teach His Word. But if I hold myself up in my office all week long, and if I just retained information, if I just just put it all right here, and I never gave it out, then what good would that gift do? That's why I was so excited to tell you a little bit about what I learned this week. Had nothing to do with this sermon, did it? I apologize for that. I rarely, I rarely ever do that. But, but see, what is it? That's that gift of teaching activated, you see? But it's not for me. It's to share with others. And if you're someone that God has put the gift of mercy in you, it's to share with others. If God has put the great gifts of administration in you, it's to share with others. If you have the gifts of helps, if you have the gifts of wisdom and knowledge, oh my goodness, if you have the gift of faith, if you have the gift of intercessory prayer, oh, how we need your giftings. How we need them so strongly. And let me say this. As we help you assess your gifts, as we help you discover what's inside you. Now, remember, we're talking about accountability, okay? Results is what the word means. Activities, accomplishments, effectiveness is the real meaning of the word. Now, listen, here's what we can't do. We can't say, well, you know, I... You know, my, my top gift is, is faith, but my lowest gift is serving, so I, I don't have to serve anybody. There are no loopholes here, all right? That's what I'm trying to say. You can't say, well, my lowest gift is mercy, so I don't have to be compassionate toward no one. No. See, here's what I don't want to see happen. What it, I don't want to use my top one or two gifts... And then my lower gifts, say, you know, say one of my lower gifts is uh, wisdom. I don't want to say, oh, well, okay, that's just not for me. No, I want to grow in that. Let me tell you what happened that I, I, months ago when I was planning out this series, I had dinner with one of the families in our church. And this is a very strong, very spiritually mature family. And Sadie and I had went over to their house for dinner, and I was asking them if they had ever taken a spiritual gift test. 
And they said, yeah, as a matter of fact, we have. And I say, well, what were some of your top gifts? And they're telling me, oh, yeah, yeah, I see that in you. Absolutely. Well, here's what I was shocked at. They told me, they said, but we're trying to make a big change in our life. They said, our lowest gift for both of them, husband and wife, they said, our lowest gift was in giving. That was the lowest we scored was giving. And they said, we felt like God wanted us to work on that. A couple of weeks ago, we closed out our year 2020 books and, you know, assessed where we were and closed everything out. And I was very surprised. I would never say their names. I would never embarrass them or rob God of his glory. But that family ended up being the third, the third largest giver in our church. What, what's the point, Chad? The point is we are responsible for all of the giftings that God has within us. Now, not every Christian possesses every single gift, so don't get prideful. But whatever your gifts are, and we're going to help you discover that through a, through a spiritual gifts test, whatever your gifts are, don't, don't take... Don't go for the low-hanging fruit and say, oh, well, I'm, I'm great at this and great at this. And the other things just don't matter. No, my friends, they matter immensely. So, what have we seen today out of these three small verses? There are varieties of gifts. There are multitudes of gifts. There are many, many gifts. For what purpose? To serve in various ministries. To serve in various ways. Now you may be in a different season of life right now. And that season may change. You know so many of you know. Um, my mom spent three years caring for my grandfather. Her dad. He passed this November at the age of 90. And um, she was very, very tied down. She and her sister was every other day. And every other weekend. She could only come to church every other weekend she she was completely tied down completely overwhelmed but see now that seasons changed and now she feels burdened toward rock alley and now she's she's serving back in rock alley she'll be serving back there next sunday your your seasons change your situations change your giftings may change but see, here's the point. Ultimately, whatever variety of gifts you have, whatever variety of ministries there are, you're responsible before the Lord for the activities of your gifts. You're responsible for the effectiveness of your gifts. You're responsible for the results, for the accomplishments of the great gifts that God has deposited to you.